0: Greetings everyone. Thank you for joining me today on turning a moment into a movement. I am Jay Love, welcome. Um, and I represent the Justice for Girard movement. Gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted of a crime. Um, he served two years in the Michigan Department of Corrections. Now, just think about that for a second. The innocent person going to prison for a crime that they didn't do. So because of that experience and journey with Gerard uh, and meeting so many others who had the same experience created this platform called turning a moment into a movement where we come here every Friday at 6 PM to talk about wrongful convictions, um, injustice and things that are uh, plaguing our community. So, um, Thank you for joining us. Uh, t- as a matter of fact, today is Gerard's birthday and so I did a little minute um, tribute for him and I want to play that right now. Mm-hmm. birthday Gerard and continue to rest in love. So before we get started, I want to tell you guys our mission is to bring awareness to the wrongful convictions of Gerard and all others who, have, who are wrongly convicted, over-sentenced, medically ill, medically frail in our community to inspire, organize, and educate all communities about the need to disrupt systems, policies, and patterns of the criminal legal system that leads to wrongful convictions. That's why we're here. So um, before we get started, hello to everyone who's watching on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and for those who uh, might listen later. So we're asking you guys to subscribe to our YouTube page and uh, like our Facebook page, the Justice for Gerard Movement, so you can be notified uh, every time that we go live, or any time um, we have something new going on, so I'm going to bring in the panel to introduce themselves, and then after that, I'm going to bring on our uh, special guest for today, and then we're going to get started. So first of all, I see Revitier is here. So greetings, Revitier. Greetings, Jay. Oh my goodness. Uh, look,
1: I'm looking quite shiny today. I've been out in the sun all day. We have had our, <laughs> our field and fun day today for our school. And oh my goodness, I'm talking about, I'm talking about running home for this. This <laughs> conversation today is so important. I'm excited about our special guest today and about the communication that we are delivering on this platform as we continue to educate people. Uh, And you know what, I always will remember what Malcolm X said when they asked him, what would you do if you had a chance to do things all over again? And that was right before he was assassinated. And he said, if I had a chance to do it all over again, before I organized, I would educate. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this is what we are doing. So excited coming to you from The Choice Zone, where I do provide transformational coaching. If you want to change your life and get into your own zone, and that's what it takes, just give me a holler at, uh, you can email me at tia.taylor at thechoicezone.com. I'm also a part of Michigan Coalition of Human Rights and other other platforms Women's Study G100, Oneness and Wisdom and Transforming Love Community. I tell you, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it in the community. I'm doing it for the community. And I'm educating, motivating, and encouraging others to access that kingdom inside of themselves, that Christ, that anointing, that purpose, that power. And we all have it. And it is yours right now. I also wanted to um, bring up Jay that Michigan Coalition. We do have um, Peter Hammer, our special guest for our annual meeting, and he is the co-author of "No Equal Justice," excellent book. Um, you guys can look it up. You can also contact me; I'll give you provided uh, so you can get it out there. And uh, just glad to be here. Let's late. Let's get it started because we have had in our forefront on our eyes all this week mental health and we need to talk about
0: it yeah yes ma'am so now i'm going to bring on Trisha. greetings trishay greetings, how are you Michael?
2: greetings greetings how's everybody doing on this friday evening
0: oh we're doing great how about you
2: you know what i am i'm great i'm blessed I'm happy to be here. Really, I, I was like, you know, with all this uh, heavy artillery you got on the panel tonight, I said, shoot, I need to drop off. and So I'm <laughs> gonna sit and listen and learn tonight uh, because uh, we have some amazing panelists on tonight. Oh, wow. and, uh, tonight <laughs> and I, I'm just grateful to be grateful here. To be here. Um, my name is Shoshay awesome. Duckworth. I'm uh, Executive Director of Survivor Speak. I'm a social justice architect. And you want to know why I say that is because it's a build. It's a continual build over and over and over again. See, when you tear something down, which is what we love to do, you can't just leave it that way. You've got to rebuild it. And so I love the rebuilding process along so many other individuals who are rebuilding within our community. Um, Because at the end of the day, we have the power. We have our voice, we have our vote, we have our collective power together because it's nothing for us without us, no matter what it is. And when it comes to the emotional and mental wellness, we already know what it is, which is why we've gotta be at the table, calling the shots on things that are going to surface in our lives and be for us. Nothing for us without us, we gotta get to the table where decisions are being made for us without us. And I want to leave this with us just real quick. You know, when it comes to public health, when it comes to your health department, those meetings are shaped and there's public comment there too. We've got to get involved and we've got to do it now because our mental health is on the line.
0: Yes, Trishay. Thank you. Thank you.
3: (laughs) Greetings, Allie. Hey, how y'all doing? we great. How about you? I am doing good. Glad to see all you other faces. Like, I feel like I'm at home. <laughs> yes, you are at home. <laughs>
0: Introduce yourself, Allie.
3: Yes. Uh, so, my name is Alexandria Hughes. Uh, you know, I'm a community organizer, activist. Uh, I'm a human rights activist, someone who is fighting for the full freedom of All especially black and brown folks, especially disabled community members who don't have their autonomy. Um, and uh, with Michigan Liberation, I am a mental health based building organizer. Um, I'm also someone who tries to cultivate joy in any environment I'm in, whether it looks like a joke or just uh, giving someone a compliment. Um, but I'm glad to be here today because this topic is really important. We have amazing, amazing panelists. And I'm a firm believer that hey, if you can't get at the table, create your own table. Just don't be on the menu. Exactly.
0: Exactly, Alexandria. Thank you. If hey, you ain't,
2: yeah. Just one second, Jay. If you ain't at the table, you is on the menu. So her point is <laughs> get to the table.
0: That part. <laughs> Exactly. Tiny Mac.
4: Well, all right. Here we go again tonight. All (laughs) right. Hey, the weather girls was right, but they had it wrong. It's not raining men. It's raining beautiful black women. Glad to be here again tonight. Tonight again. Hello, my queens. So good to see y'all. Glad to be here. Hugo J. Mac on this end. As I tell you before, 40,000 members in my profession. I'm the only one of that 40,000 who's not with you here tonight, having parachuted from heaven. I'm here with you tonight, having come up from hell through the precious blood of God and Jesus Christ. Uh, I've dedicated the rest of my life and my career to fighting for the rights of the wrongfully convicted and the overly convicted. A group of people that are largely, largely marginalized because, you know, we often hear these phrases like, well, don't do the crime if you can't do the time." Well, it's from my personal and professional experience. A lot of people are doing time, but not for what they actually did, not for what they actually did. Something that's been more elevated, something that's been reached as a quote unquote plea agreement with defendants facing insurmountable, mountainous, lavish, uh, just lava flowing odds of uh, supplemental information and other charges where a lot of people are essentially pressured to pleading something that they're really not guilty of. And that's not to say that people in the penitentiary are not there the, for something they did, that's true. The system would be absolutely destroyed if nobody was in the penitentiary for anything they did. But that's not the point. The point is, are you in there for what you actually did? And if you're not in there for what you actually did, then you're a victim. And, and more importantly, we are victims because we're fostering a system where people are paying debts that they do not owe. And remember, 95% of the people in the penitentiary are coming out. The question is, who are they going to be when they come out? And the sub question is, what are they coming out to? You see? So, I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, it's very hard for somebody with a penitentiary experience to get a job, to find housing, to have education, to get transportation, and to not be stigmatized. And so, uh, I fight in behalf of the wrongfully convicted, overly convicted, and in behalf of the marginalized, and that brings us largely to black women. Uh, a large percentage of my practice is dedicated to helping black women who have fallen through the cracks. You know, it's so interesting when I see these organizations uh, primarily headed up by by people, women of privilege. Who get out and talk about, you know, they're fighting for women and they're they're here on the front line. But you know what? I never see those people when I go to 15th, 14th District Court, when I'm fighting to keep a woman in her house with her kids or trying to help her get some kind of financial aid for her family. I never see those people. I might see them on TV or some blog every now and again, but when we're there with them, it's like me and them. So, you know, I thank God for a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind the ability to go into court every day. And the older I get, the bolder I get confronting judges and prosecutors and police, um, which are the victims of, of systemic racism themselves, I might add, whether they know it or not, and to deal with the mental health issues that I see even on the bench, even on the bench, you see. So it's, it's um, a daunting task, but you know what? God has us all here for a time such as this, you know. That's what that's what he told Esther. And I'm gonna tell y'all something, something you already know. If we don't do it, God's will is not going to be thwarted. He will have somebody else do it. If he's got to raise up stones from the ground to do it, somebody's gonna keep speaking truth to justice. And I feel that it's us, and this is our time. So I'm here, honored to be here and ready to proceed. Now, J Love and crew. Having said all that, here we go. Here we go. If you find yourself on Trouble Boulevard, push, pull, drag, or tow that hoopity to Mack Street, Max Street, and park your car in my virtual underground garage. And when there, call the Freedom Line, 734-239-3118. The Freedom Line, 734 734- 239 118 The Freedom Line 734-239-118 HMAClaw.com is your hookup HMAClaw.com is your hookup HMAClaw.com is your hookup Now J Love, as you know sometimes it takes time for people to go ahead and get all the documents and stuff written down properly so allow me to provide a brief musical courtesy of Roland Martin an entertainment interlude while people get to write that information down. So y'all excuse me while uh, I do the Boogaloo. Reverend Tia, this for you now. (laughs) J Love, Miss Hughes, and Trishet, Batman from Pulp Fiction. One more time for all of you recording. Okay. So, J-Love, I believe yes. that's enough time for people to have written down the pertinent information, and so I'd like you to know this. All Mr. and Mrs. America, all ships at sea, if you don't want to win, don't come in. Please ignore this announcement. Stay standing outside collecting government cheese, getting legally constipated. Go ahead and do that if that's what you want to do. Now you tried to rest. Now come with the best. And let me tell you, J. Love, for all the haters, and J. Love, you're a real trooper. You don't say it. I know people be calling you, writing you, texting you, telling you to kick Hugo mac off the show. I know they do it. I know they do it. Well, for all you haters, all you people who want to hate and hate on me and the standard of justice, I'm going to tell you like my late cousin Bernie. I ain't scared of none of y'all. So, let me, so y'all understand that right now. Y'all understand that right now. So J. Love, Yes. I want to let you know one thing. People may ask you, now, did that man, J. Love, that crazy lawyer actually endorse this? My answer, you damn straight I did. Yes, this endorsement is brought to you by Dr. Hugo J. Mack Esquire, the one true king of Russia, Scotland, and Harlem. I love you.
0: (laughs) We love you too, attorney (laughs) Mack. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So now <laughs> we're gonna bring up one of our guests. And he's a panelist this week, but next week he's gonna be the guest. Welcome everyone, Mr. Dwayne Brooks. Hi Dwayne.
5: Hello, can you hear me?
0: Yes. How are you?
5: I'm wonderful.
0: Tell everyone who, introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are.
5: Well, you got the name Dwayne Brooks. Um I got out last month on the 25th, so it's been a month and a day now. Um my conviction was overturned on the 12th of last month on April 12th. And um took 13 days for them to release me. I'm back in New York now. Um I was convicted for a crime that I didn't do out of state in Ohio in Cuyahoga County, Cleveland, Ohio. And um the level of corruption that they went to to get the convictions on me is unparalleled, you know, but it was easy for them to do. And after 33 and a half years, we found the evidence, you know, um, I put in a, a, uh, hired a private investigator to put in a public's record request to get, get the police reports and He finally got him, I got him in March of 2021. And we filed the motion for new trial in October of 2021 and it took until April of 2023 for them to release me. And you know, if you read it, you know, because me telling you, I, I was telling people the whole time, sorry about this. I don't even know how to turn this phone off. Turn that thing off for me. Thank you. Um, I have been telling people, you know, the whole time for the 33 and a half years and up until the 35 years that I ended up serving um, that I didn't do it. And, you know, they took me to trial with no evidence. Um, The person that who actually did the crime was the uh, state's star witness against me putting everything that he did onto me and i was facing the death penalty so they took me to trial facing the death penalty and for 33 and a half years nobody knew that they had the evidence to show that i i didn't do it they had it from the very beginning so um you know when i found because i didn't know that the evidence existed i, I had no idea you know, I was um, I was throwing a hail mary, as they say, in football, when I um hired the investigator to get the um, police records, and um, my transcripts had been missing for the better part of fifteen years, and right before we got the police reports, my transcripts showed back up, and the attorney that I have, he he got them, and he read them, and he said to me way you you got screwed and at that point you know it was like that point it was enough you know I, I you know I sat there at the kiosk as, it, as it's called um, reading the email and I said man finally somebody seeing what was done to me and even at that point you know I didn't know that um, the police reports existed but I was just so relieved that somebody seen they did to me and then the very next week we got the police reports and you know i'm not knowing that there's anything in there so when i got the physical copy you know the paper copy through the through the legal mail i was kind of you know reluctant to even look through the stuff because i was like i don't feel like rehashing all this old stuff you know not having any idea that what was in there was in there and Man, when I started reading that stuff and I thought about how they was trying to take my life, literally, not just in years, but put me to death, having the evidence to show the whole time that I didn't do it, you know, from the very beginning. And I mean, this is from like from day one, August of 87. You know, it just, it did something to me and I told my attorney because he was originally my attorney to, uh, file a suit against the parole board for keep giving me time. I had seen them four times and, um, first time they gave me 10 years, extra years. These are extra years. These, these are not uh part of my sentence. My debts to society, as they say, was paid at my first parole board here. That's when you're eligible, statutorily eligible for parole. And the parole board kept giving me time because They said that I didn't show any remorse because I didn't do it. So they gave me 10 years the first time, four years the second time, five years the third time. And then in 2020, they gave me five more years.
6: Wow!
5: So they had no intention of ever releasing me. And had I received the death penalty, the average four a person convicted of, of 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 the death penalty is 20 to 22 years from conviction so i would you know i did 35 years so 15 13 to 15 years before i would have been executed and this evidence would have never came out so this is why i'm here today and i will be here and, and on any other forum that people can become aware of what they're doing to people and I have a um, a unique, uh, view and perspective of mental health because. I mean, we'll get into that, and you can ask me about that. You know.
0: Yes, thank you, Dwayne. I'm so glad you're here with us. Um, I know the wrongful conviction. We talk about that almost every other week. Is is. And so that's why we're here. Cause we want to do more educating. We want to educate our community about wrongful convictions, how they can happen. They can happen to anybody at any time. And so uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're going to be with us. And um, thank you But we're going to get, we're going to talk some more about you a lot more about you in the weeks coming. Thank you, Dwayne. So next our, special guest, Dr. Reverend Spencer Murray. Hello.
7: Oh man, hello, uh, everybody. Hello. Hello, Janice. Hello to everybody. Man, it's, it's a blessing to be here, Janice. Um and I'm gonna introduce myself, but I I I can't uh I can't say anything else without holding space and uh and honoring uh brother Dwayne Brooks um for being here. For your faith for your perseverance um for your strength all, all all those things i just uh you have to pause i know i'm saying that on behalf of everybody here that we hold space for you and see you and i see you brother i, I see you i see all of you and uh, i just want to honor that and honor your presence right here and uh <clears throat> give god all the praise for for you being here and uh, for you being released and i i want to say this too because I, I often think about this um and while we hold that space for you and honor everything in you and everything that you are the um the media oftentimes will um, try to fool us by calling this a a feel-good story you know uh, that it's a feel-good story when they show someone on the news who was incarcerated unjustly for 35, 36 years and 40 years, and they didn't get anything. They didn't get any recourse, any restitution, nothing from the state, nothing. You know what I it's, it's a feel-good story, and sometimes it's to, it's to uh, divert our attention away from what you're doing right here, Jay. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, uh, and so... Um, I, I, I honor what you're doing and I honor you, I honor you, brother, right right, right now. And So, uh, as Janice says, my name is is uh, Spencer Murray, and so I am just a uh, servant, really. Um, I am a minister at Transforming Love uh, Community, TLC, big ups to TLC and reference here, I think she's on the call, and everybody who's part of TLC. Uh, also, um, co-founder and executive director of No Harm, that's the National Organization for Healing and Redefining. Manhood. We'll talk talk a little bit um, more about that. But my um, my mission is to is to uh, liberate humanity, and uh, certainly liberate uh, my brothers. Liberate men. Offer healing. Offer wellness. Offer liberation. Um, offer hope, and all those things. And that is exactly what I do, and that's been my life's work for. Uh, over 30 years now. And so it started off as an educator in Detroit for years. I was at a couple of different schools and doing that with students mentoring and working in men's wellness and healing and administering things like that and moved into uh, where I'm at now. And um, no harm is, is the purpose of it. It's, it's a violence prevention organization. While the purpose is to eliminate gender-based harm, it's um, to eliminate all harm But also starting um, with with men as well, and so we know if the um, uh, male violence is is prevalent, right? Male violence is prevalent prevalent in this um, in society, particularly towards our women, oftentimes and and most particularly towards our, our our black women. That is that is just the truth, and so if we. Uh, want to start, if we really want to start curing violence, then we need to work with our men and invest in men's healing and wellness instead of using the criminal legal system to do it. So what I found in being in this work is, I think someone mentioned this earlier, is that there are segments of society uh, who, who, um, who believe that uh, curing violence is to weaponize accountability Weaponizing accountability means to use the criminal legal system of the threat of violence the threat of incarceration. Uh, and certainly that doesn't mean that men who cre- uh, who commit violent acts don't need to uh, be accountable. We, we know that for sure. Um, but we also need, to, at the same time, uh, need to hold the truth to invest in men's um, wellness and healing. Uh, also knowing that there's some historical trauma in ourselves, all in ourselves and all throughout our bodies as from historical... Uh, from a historical perspective. And so uh, all my work is about uh, liberating and healing and uh, creating peace and reducing violence, uh, but starting with violence towards self. And I'll use my own story that we can talk about a little later in that in that regard. So it's always just good to be here. Janice, thank you for the invitation. Uh, I look forward to the conversation.
0: Me too. Thank you, Reverend Spence. Um, so we got on this subject matter because um, I was texting Reverend Spence about um, some um, very um, disturbing trends that was happening in our community, in Detroit, actually. Um, there were, I think, three women killed by their ex or a mate in, in a week, and then there's another one happened the week the next week after, and then um, I had my own personal um, experience with someone having a mental health uh, experience. My neighbor, um, when he moved next door to me, he told me that, you know, he had some mental issues. And then, um, but you know nothing really has ever happened you know we talk every day almost you know when we're outside cutting grass or whatever is going on so on Monday he I was watering my vegetables and he came up to me with a loaded gun and he said um Jay it was good knowing you and so at that point I didn't know where this was going because he had the gun. There was no space for me to do anything but to just be calm. And he ran off um, and shot up the neighbor's garage. And so um, I'm saying all this to say, it doesn't even have to be your family member. It doesn't have, it can be, you can have these encounters anywhere, anytime. And so we do need to have these conversations. We do need to normalize Mental health. I know I have read so much, you know, studying, having this conversation, but I think we really need to drive it home because there are so many people suffering. There are so many families that are suffering, and some people are suffering in silence. And my neighbor probably has been suffering in silence for, you know, a few years, and so, and I don't know what triggered thing with him coming outside with this gun but you know and the other thing is you know the only recourse you have these days is to call the police and so a person who is sick is now become a criminal and become criminalized and put into a system instead of you know working on them um, getting health you know because if your brain is sick it's just like if anything else on your body is sick and it can you know in most cases you can get help for that but when people have these stigmas and beliefs about mental health um they suffer so i i'm so glad that we're all on here having this conversation and i'm going to leave it to you reverend spence to take it away and
7: there we go (laughs) um well, let, let me um let me say this. The same we all are really in the same working in the same area. You know what I mean? I think when uh, we talk about the system, you know, it is and why it might show up differently, the same system that incarcerates someone unjustly for that for for, for, for uh, two years, three years, one year is the same system um that uh oppresses people of color that oppresses black people that oppresses women it is it is the same system right and so we need to be able to hold all those those truths um at, at one time and so um I found particularly when we talk about men and we and when we talk about black men um, there's a tendency, and we know that to criminalize um, to criminalize men and to criminalize uh, black men and brown men and, and men of color. And therefore there's no spaces in society really that when you think about uh, mental health and you think about wellness, there's not many spaces that people hold for men's pain, <clears throat> and men's trauma. There's not, there's not a lot of spaces for that and one of the reasons because of that is because this um what I'm going to use the term patriarchal mascul- patriarchal masculinity <clears throat> was is 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 the way the dominant society has, has set out the narrative of what it means to be a man mm-hmm. so what it means to be a man is to suppress all your emotions and to suppress all your feelings and divorce yourself from your emotional side. You're divorced from your your humanity, and so you 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 nobody can hold space for you to express pain, to express grief, uh, to express all, all, all those things. And so, uh, it typically starts when a young boy is eight years old, and or six years old, or or whatever age, when he comes in crying, and someone says to him. Hey, be mama's big boy. I want you to be a big I I want you to be a big man. Stop that crying. You know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. the adults and it happened to me, it was my experience as well. And so what that young boy learns is because he doesn't have the wherewithal yet to decode that message, what he what he learns is that I feel pain and I can't express it. I feel pain. It's not cool. That's all that's all he can interpret. And then he grows up in the same way. Then he becomes socialized by all his peer group by the playground, everybody. And if I cry, I'm weak. If I do anything that we typically have feminized, like compassion and, and, and talking and, and being gentle or nurturing, I, I'm considered weak. And that 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 follows us all the way up to to where I'm at. And so, and so a man has suppressed his his whole other side of himself. And we know that the world thrives off of separation. If it can divide us from ourselves, from our true selves, and then divide us from each other, then someone benefits from that. When I talk about when you be talking about violence, there are there are people and we know this who benefit from our violence. Mm-hmm. They benefit from they benefit from that. There are people who don't want to cure violence. You don't cure violence by, by you get to the cause. You don't cure violence by manipulating the effect and try to deal with the effect you got to get to the root cause. And for most of us, the root cause is, is power. The root cause has been white supremacy. The root cause has been power and domination. And all these ideas have also trans, uh, uh, transferred over into men, uh, you know, that, that their manhood now is defined by you know, what my, one of my um, uh, mentors, at least uh, a guy who has meant a lot to me in this work. A uh, manhood is defined by your 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 billfold, the ball field, or bedroom. You know your sexual conquest, your money, or, or or you know or um or your athletic ability, and so all those things. And so we get divorced from ourselves. And so um, the idea of mental health is is um uh, an idea of self care is, is not a space that has been t- that has been held for a lot of men, and so when you listen to a story like Dwayne, Dwayne, my good brother, Dwayne Brooks, when you hear, when you see the stories on the news, when you see this, it re-traumatizes the whole community. Not only traumatized Dwayne, it re-traumatizes all of us. And we have to walk around and hold that. We have to walk around and hold that. And um, you're one of the things, no harm, is, is doing and going to do because we't can't, we can't talk about holding uh, you know man accountable and perpetrators accountable without talking about holding the system accountable. Mm-hmm. You got to hold the system accountable because all the research says that violence, violence is the product um, of, of social, and economic inequalities in, 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 our, in our society, in our world, that there have studies been study after study that says the bigger the gap in social and economic equality and in, inequities, in the bigger, the bigger that gap, the more violence there is. That and violent and the, the same studies have also shown that when those gaps begin to close. Violence goes down as well, and so we talk, We have to. We have to talk about those systems as well. But if, if, if if the only recourse for society is the 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 carceral system, then we're not even paying attention to that. You know what I mean? That we just invest in the carceral system,
0: right? I know you just made me think about today. And this in Detroit, of course, um, they had a joint a task force, right? Yeah, and so now in these high areas of the city, um, if you do certain crimes, you're gonna get federal charged, you're not gonna get locally charged, right? And so they were saying all these things about you know, if you do this and you do that, but nobody said anything about being. Uh, reactive, you know, I mean, not reactive, proactive. They're just being reactive to, you know, what's going on. And so I agree with you, um, Reverend Spence, where, you know, they talk about, you know, getting more time and putting you in the federal system instead of the state system and this and that, and nobody is saying anything about what's going on in the community and why are these things are happening? Especially when you have a a city where 50% 50% of the people can't even read. That's right. You know, on a certain level. So if you can't read on a certain level, you can't comprehend on a certain level. That's right. Level. And so if you can't comprehend or read on a certain certain level, what kind of job That's right. or employment are you gonna have? That's right. And so when you have all these issues in the community, of course, there's gonna be um, a higher level of crime no Then you know, in your suburban cities or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so to ad- it seemed like these problems would be something that um, our officials would want to address instead of, you know, always talking about piling people up no. in these systems. And a lot of times when they had these task force and things going on, 10 years, 20 years from now, a lot of these people end up Being wrongly convicted. That's right. Because they're so eager to push people into prison to solve a problem. That's right. That that's not even the answer to.
6: That's
7: right. That's right. No, no, it's 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 not even answer. You know, when um, when uh, people have gone in and done extensive studies with. Men who have committed violent acts, particularly murder, or even on on death row, and done all that, and most of the time when they ask them, you know, the roots of the vice of why they did it, it oftentimes it rolls around. I was disrespected. I was dissed. I was humiliated. I was shamed. You know, I felt unworthy. Someone made me feel unworthy. Those 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 type of type of things, right?
6: Mm-hmm
7: but the inequities do that anyway, right? The inequities in, in society are set up to make one, to make one feel that. And so those are, those, are, those are also predictors of violence. When you talk about poverty, when you talk about that, when you talk about those who set the conditions, who already set the conditions for it, right? And so you always set the conditions, and then you have this patriarchal masculinity that really only accepts anger and aggression as 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 expressions of manhood or, or at least the the acceptable you know I have to be I can't be punked out I got a man up you know I got the man up and what I'm what I'm what I've found in my own life what I found in the in the in the life of the people I I work with in, in the jails and juvenile systems you know the man up is really man down <laughs> man up is man down because yeah, manning up can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Manning up manning up can go wrong and it, it takes us out of um that space of 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 caring about our mental health. And so um uh men are taught to, you know, basically socialize to externalize what they feel, maybe anger and mm-hmm. aggression, you know. Um And while while on the other hand, women, for the most part, internalize and talk and feel and process internally, while men, you know, typically act, uh, act out externally. And um, and because we are not taught do you know, in the schools, even in the schools, they're talking about taking social, emotional learning out of the schools. They're talking about taking mental health services out of the schools for students it doesn't make sense but it's all part of the plan right. it's 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 all part all right. of it yeah
1: spence i was i was wondering a couple of things then you mentioned something that really got my blood boiling so i'm gonna hold off on that and breathe and then i'm going to ask you to kind of talk about some of the polarities that exist within Within the culture for African American males, because these are the these are, these polarities are this these concepts. Yeah. Um, similar to what I remember my son telling me having this um, conversation with me some years back, and uh, he said, "Mom, check out the narratives that people say."
6: Yeah.
1: And realize that it's a split mind when yes. they're saying it. Yes. You know. So, like for instance, for For women, I'm going to be a freak in the bed and a lady in the streets. You know, like, what is that?
7: Yeah.
1: You know, and and why can't you just be a woman all the time? Right. You know, what what is this? Yeah. What is this concept or this narrative that has been placed on the African-American woman? Yeah. And the same thing has happened with the African-American male. You know, there are some polarities that I think our listeners and viewers need to know because we follow narratives that have been handed down to us that's right from in for generations yeah from people have who have been per- prosecuting us
7: that's right that's right that's
6: right Oppressing I, us.
1: Yeah.
7: yeah i've got on I want, I want to give this brother um you can look him up dr obari cartman dr obari cartman he works a lot in and black mental health with young men and, and he's, he's terrific but this is his shirt this shirt. i ordered this shirt from him so i'm gonna get up and you're talking about changing the narrative right it says men cry men care men teach men love men think men build men laugh and men forgive that is that is changing 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 the narrative uh who men are and who men can be because when you talk about those polarities right and you talk talking about in um in a uh, in imperialistic, capitalistic, white supremacist, patriarchy society, in that society, that the polarities, one, one, will teach us that it's about hierarchy and competition, you know, when it's really about cooperation and community. See, it's opposite. So everything that that we need to be is opposite. <laughs> of what the dominant culture has has produced or, or has, has put out as the narrative as what a man should be. A man should pull, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. We know what Martin Luther King said about that. It's about in rugged individualism. We know about that. So that is the narrative there. But the narrative for, for our community, right, is, is partnership and community. It is the opposite of what's being taught. And I think, I certainly can say this for myself, and this certainly goes to the top of mental health, that my confusion and my tension growing up in my younger years was trying to navigate those two things. Here's what the America or people are telling me I should be. And here's what I think I am on the inside. And so what do I do? I self-medicate the tension because I don't know who I am. I self-medicate the tension by drinking, by smoking, you know what I mean? That's what miss. we're doing, self-medicating to, to try to numb ourselves from this. And all I was doing was causing harm to myself and causing harm to everybody I was in a relationship with. Emotional harm to people I was in a relationship with. And, and, and so, um, you know, we have, we have to get back to, to our own healing and wellness. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that the person I'll say man because I work with men and this is what we do at no harm. I'm convinced that the man who knows who he is fully and completely will not do harm, will not cause harm to himself or or to anyone else. And that means that you have to integrate your fragmented self because this world has taught you to fragment your masculine from your feminine and that I'm not gentle, I'm not, but actually we're both inside. We encompass all those things. But if we're taught to accentuate one and suppress the other, then we're in trouble. Then we're we're fragmented, and we don't even know who we are. We get into relationships, and you know, and 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 I'll say this too: when I talk about patriarchal masculinity and that masculinity, women can buy into that as well. And so part of the work we're doing, you know. There's a story, and I'll say this quick, because I know other people want to um, want to chime in. Uh, there's a story that the psychologist tells, and we've seen it in one of these movies before. That um, his family, a brother, lost lost his job, and so his his wife, uh, you know, dropped him off at the a job every day. So he didn't want to tell her he lost his job, and so when she dropped him off, he just stayed out all day as if he was at work, came home at the end of the day. Then all of a sudden, checks didn't start rolling in. Do you know the shame, the shame that he felt and the pain that he felt because the society that society is telling he gotta be the provider, he gotta be, he, he's gotta bring this money or he it attaches your net worth to your, your self worth to your net worth, right? That's that patriarchal masculinity. And so finally the checks weren't coming in anymore And when his wife um, found out she was upset and she confronted him, this true story, confronted him like, what type of man are you? What type of man would do that? And do you know he ended up killing his family? He ended up shooting his family and shooting himself. Now we're not giving any excuses for what he did because everybody who faces that situation doesn't respond that way. But the point is, the level of shame he felt, the level of of, of unworthiness he felt, um, you know, you know, you know, just 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 caused him to 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 choose and commit murder and and choose death over that. That's that humiliation and shame I was talking about. That that's that's all of that. And so this is why when I go into everywhere I go, just like Brother Dwayne Books and everybody on this call, I say I see you, brother. I see you, sister, wherever I go. Because people need to be seen. Because the system is going to treat them one way. I don't care where I go. I, I see you. You are, you are worthy. And we have to do that for each other. We have to mm-hmm. do that for each other. And men have to be, be able to start doing that for each other instead of walking in and uh you know and posturing for each other and see, you know, who's who's man enough, who's gonna be man enough open arms and celebrate each other's victories and celebrate each other, you know, as men and as human beings. Um, and so that's what it was all about, but, um, that's something we have to do for ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Dwayne. Yes. Oh, you could come on in. (laughs)
5: Oh, I, I got quite a few things to comment on. Um,
0: okay, go ahead.
5: And I'm going to lead up to mental health. Uh, our mental okay. health as a people has been fractured for hundreds of years. And we live today, we don't understand that we as a whole, not me and you individually, but we as a whole, we don't understand that, you know, this has been like somebody said, passed down for generations, hundreds of years now and and it's because of this caste system that we're we're in. It's not spoke about a lot, but we're definitely in a caste system along with like places like India. And because people that look like us are on the bottom rung of that ladder in the caste system, we are treated and and this is this is inherently ingrained in the system, we are treated differently. And it's like you go back to 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 the days when our people were enslaved um they were allowed to have families and get married that didn't mean that their families would stay together that didn't mean that the um the master or the overseer as they were called wouldn't come in and tell the tell the 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 husband boy go sit on the porch while he goes in there and rape your wife and this this you know even though they they knew that they were enslaved those ancestors that went through that she couldn't help but look at her husband in a different light she couldn't help it he couldn't help but to feel some type of way about being told to go sit on the porch while that man went in there and raped his wife now this is where relationships between people that look like us, black, African-American, you know, I I don't like those terms, but this is where we cannot give each other peace in relationships, black men and black women, African-American men and women um, because we have a lot of hatred and pain and anger towards each other. And and, and, And the system this system that we're under, this oppressive system—it's an oppressive system. Ninety-nine point nine nine something of, of people that look like us—we we 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 are traumatically affected by this system. We got PTSD naturally mm-hmm. just, just growing up in this country.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, if we hear a siren, we it's, it's, it's an unconscious, you know, reaction that we have to it, even as little kids.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: We know. I started boxing when I was eight years old, and I remember one time I, I fought a little white boy. He was bigger than me because I was a little kid, and I, I kind of beat him up, and I blooded his nose. And he started crying in the ring and and you know, I got scared because even at that age, at eight years old, I knew that I could be in trouble for hitting that whiteboard and I looked around and I found my dad's face in the crowd and The smile on his face is the only thing that that, that calmed me. But my point is that I inherently knew about racism at that age. So we come up to to 2023 and black men, black women, you know, when we come home, husband and wife, you know, whether we're in relationships or not, we don't give each other peace because we've been through so much hell and we know that people that are hurting take it out on the closest people to them and this is why we see what we're seeing today you know I come out after 35 years and I'm looking at people like what happened how are you not prospering in this world how are you not you know, mentally and emotionally advanced. It's like we're, we're going backwards instead of going forwards. Technology is, 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 is a lot more, you know, advanced, but people are not. It's like they're dumbing us down. They're dumbing us down. I mean, there's people that are really dumb out here. And it's, and, 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 and it's it amazes me. it blows my mind so our mental health ties into this you know over these 400 and you know something years 500 years however long it's been you know it' it's you know and the system as so-called there's no help for black people that are mentally ill there's no help you throw throwing mentally ill people, and I was in there with them every day. I, the last prison I was in was over 70% sex offenders. And I'm telling you, if don't nobody else know, and all your people out there that, you know, dealing with sex offenders, they might be your family, they might be, you know, your boyfriends, your, your husbands, they're mentally ill. You got people in that, I mean, they're handsome guys. You know, they dress nice. They take care of themselves, but they like to rape women. They like to. I mean, they just, they like to. You got same type of people, handsome, dress nice, own businesses, you know, that rape little children. What kind of, what kind of, Treatment or um therapy is there for somebody that's attracted to a child. I mean, you I mean, I, I don't I, I don't think there is any treatment or therapy. You know, and I was in there, I felt like I told my sister this too. I said, I feel like I'm the undercover boss. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that show, but because I, I knew that I wasn't supposed to be in there, I'm not supposed to be experiencing this type of stuff. But I was around a bunch of mentally ill people. One guy, you know, I mean, it was, it was many guys that did it. They came in and it was just like, they said it like this it's too much time. I can't do it. So they go get on the mental health caseload and all the mental health caseload does is drug them up. There's no help for them. And by the time they get finished giving because Thorazine was was the number one drug that they gave them. By the time they get, get finished giving them all that Thorazine, they never come back. Never. So there's I'm telling you, there's no help for people with mental problems in, in that so-called system, that injustice system. And it's and it's a shame. I mean, it, it is it's sad and it's and it's it's ugly. And you know, I sat out in the visiting room on the visiting floor with a guy that. He came in around the same time I went in in 1988, and he had got beat up by the police. And he wanted to get some counseling, talk to somebody. So he went, and he sought help. And they put him on drugs. They they thorazine them and Whatever kind of other zine they got. Because all those eens and zines, they ain't, they're not good for us.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: And I was sitting out on the visitor floor and he, and some people were sitting next to me. I was, you know, enjoying my visit, but they were just sitting there without, without their visitor. So I was wondering who it was. And when he came out, he just sat there, didn't acknowledge him. He was gone. And they sat there and cried the whole visit. I mean, tears. Because they knew he was gone. So, you know, mental health is a real thing. And, you know, I myself, uh, I wrote that on there about prison is meant to destroy you. You're not meant to survive prison. Physically, you're not meant to survive it. And if you survive it physically, you're not meant to survive it mentally. It's meant to destroy you. It's meant to destroy people. And so I wrote that and somebody wrote, it sounds like a cry for help. It's a cry for help for millions of people. Yes, it's a cry for help for millions of people. I've seen it firsthand. People that get put on those drugs, you know, don't brush their teeth, comb their hair, wash their clothes, take a bath, take a shower. We can't take a bath, but take a shower. All they do is eat, sleep, and go get those drugs. Literally. They stink. You can smell them from 15 feet away. You ain't supposed to smell nobody from a foot away, let alone 15 feet away. You know, and and, and so I've seen it firsthand, and I'm telling you that for people like us. Now, I've also been incarcerated with people that, were on cases that their co-defendants were white. Now, these people were doing life in prison and their co-defendant who were white went to a a state facility for the mentally insane and maybe did six or seven or eight years and got out. There's no um, not guilty by... uh, uh, Insanity for, for black people. That's only for white people. And if I'm wrong, somebody tell me somebody they know of that got that that plea. Not guilty by reason of insanity. Any black people. It's not meant for us. It's like a lot of the, the things, the, the laws, the the privileges, you know, it's not meant for us constitution is not meant for us we don't got the right to bear arms that's not meant for us we don't have the right to even defend ourselves against a white person not under their laws and in in their constitution so we we are dealing in our, our community with a whole lot of mental illness and you know uh Spencer's shirt. <laughs> Men cry. I cried an ocean. I'm. I mean, it felt like an ocean to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I knew that if anybody saw me cry, I was gonna have to fight. Mm-hmm. So I did it, you know, in, in moments that I could be alone, when everybody was asleep, put my head up under the covers, pillow over my head, and I cried. Because like he said, you know, from an early age, we're taught that we're not supposed to cry. Yeah. And and in that situation, being in prison, you know... it. Somebody said, "I'm on a tear where no tear should ever fall," and when he said it, I didn't understand it because I was free. I never had been to prison, but once I got in prison, I understood it because the moment that somebody sees a tear falling from your eye, they want to try you. So, there's a whole lot going on with mental health and. You know, we could talk about mental health for weeks and weeks and weeks, every Friday. Because we're all affected. Mm-hmm. Not just the males, the women too. Our women are deeply affected by mental health issues because they're tra- they're traumatized too by this system and by the oppression that we've been up under. And to sit here and, and, and see you guys, you know, J-Love, the Reverend, Alexandria, Trish, you know, it's, it's beautiful to see. Because no matter what's going on in your lives, you haven't let it overwhelm you. I could tell that. And I'm, I'm quite sure none of you are unscathed. I'm quite sure of that. Just, just looking at your skin color and knowing the things that we go through. And anybody coming out of prison is not is, nobody's unscathed. I'm not unscathed. I'm deeply scarred. I don't have I don't have the um the bull whip whip welts on my back, but I got them. I've been whipped. So none of us are unscathed. Mm-hmm. Just being the people that we are in, in this caste system. And, and, and you know, if you know somebody that's in there, that's having mental problems, talk to them. You gotta tell them like, cause they gotta fight it. Cause the moment they give in, they're gonna drug them up and they'll never come back.
0: Yeah. Tony Matt.
4: Well, it's always enlightening to listen to the stories of other people that have had their own penitentiary experience. I certainly have had mine. And it's also interesting to see kind of a uniformity in experience in terms of mental health in the penitentiary. I believe fully at least 25% of people within the Michigan Department of Corrections have mental health issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, in Michigan, they have I'm not guilty by reason of insanity, and they've got a forensic center in Ypsilanti where people are treated. I've had clients go there. Most of the clients that I've had go there have gone there for competency examinations, okay, to see if they are in fact competent to stand trial. Okay. And then criminal responsibility examination to see if they're criminally responsible. And just by way of educating all of you, in case you don't know this, competency means, are you able to assist your attorney now at the time of the trial, okay? Can you assist? Because you have a constitutional right to assistance of counsel, okay? criminal responsibility doesn't look at where you are now it looks at where you were then okay when the when the the crime supposedly occurred I'd say over 95% of people that I've represented in my career that I've had criminal responsibility evaluations on 95% of them are found to be (laughs) they were not mentally ill at the time of the offense all right and whether they were mentally ill to the extent of meeting the, the definition for criminal insanity is a little different issue as to opposed to what mental stresses they were dealing with at the time. And see, that's one of the flaws in the system. It's, it, 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 it's a cookie cutter system where there's no cookie dough. <laughs> there's a stamp, but no cookie dough because the only way to escape, if you will, liability for a crime is not guilty by reason of insanity. That's the the only way. You're not guilty because you are insane. Okay, you're legally insane. So the problem with the system, one of the main problems is there's no intermediate phase. Okay, a person may not be legally criminally insane, but that doesn't mean they don't have a host, a boatload, of mental health issues that they're dealing with, a boatload of them. The system is not designed to address that, okay? It is not. The system is designed for a person to go to trial, all right? And be acquitted or convicted, period. Now, in the state of Michigan, they've got guilty but mentally ill, okay? A jury can find a person in the state of Michigan guilty but mentally ill. And I can tell you from my own penitentiary experience, what that means is if you're guilty but mentally ill, the institutions in Michigan have, have separate areas for you, okay? In other words, they, they, they've got areas for people that are, that are bugged out. And I've told you before, I've told everyone here except the new people before. My experiences in the sundry prisons of Michigan walk in the yard. They call it medline, okay, medline. And you have what's called a detail. In other words, it's a pass which says you're allowed to go to that med line once, twice, three times a day. You'd think those people were lined up to get government welfare checks, okay? And what they do is they give you a cup of water, one of those little white cups, you know, little cups of water, and they dispense your pills to you. And you take the pills and they've got staff there watching to be sure you swallow those pills. They make you open your mouth, stick out your tongue, look under your tongue, you know, be sure you're not palming anything because they want to be sure you and ing- that's right. That's right. They want to be sure you ingest those pills. And so what happens is when those med lines are run, like yard is open. OK, so in other words, people are out walking around and the walk- every prison I was at in the state of Michigan is always a yard. OK, they always provide a yard, uh, some kind of an oval track. OK, that you walk around. And what those people would do is they'd get those meds and they'd head straight for the track and just walk, walk around, walk around. Sometimes the, you know, you know how you have some old shoes where the heel is all worn down. You know what I'm saying? The heel is worn down and those penitentiary uh, blue pants with the orange clown stripe, okay, uh, down the pants and the side of the arms and just walk. A lot of them talking to themselves, mumbling, just talking to themselves. And so, you know, for me, in dealing with the stresses of the penitentiary, at times, I felt I was just two or three days away from the medline, my damn self. You see what I'm saying? Because there are times dealing with my wrongful incarceration and seeing people leave up out the, in, the institution guards, some of them mentally ill themselves, by the way, but never diagnosed or actually convicted of a crime. and and there I am stuck there, you know. This brother talk about crying, oh I know oh i I know I know quite well, you know I've cried enough to water a football field okay through through my sojourn in the penitentiary, but I didn't let anybody else see me do it. I didn't let anybody else see me do it, so you know when when I hear these brothers talk about the anger and the depression that is endemic and systemic in the system, these brothers speak the truth, they speak the truth, and so you know it's it's a problem that we spiritually i don't think we can do it carnally i think we've got to do it spiritually because you know our history is based on a spiritual realization and dependency on god i mean that's what the black church is that that's why the black church was so instrumental in the civil rights movement and what have you is that we have to call on a being greater than ourselves because you know m- my belief in my own journey is that this is a spiritual battle it's an evil thing. The systemic racism, the mental health that besets the Black people in this community, in this world, in this state, in this nation we live in, that is evil. That, that's not just a poor choice of individuals. That is a premeditated, deliberate evil act. Evil, evil. And it's done by people who know full well what they're doing. So I don't believe that systemic racism is something that's just organic and keeps going on. Not true, no plant just lives by itself. It has to be watered, it has to give nutrient, it's gotta have sunlight. So the people that are perpetuating uh, racism, systemic racism, they know exactly what they're doing. None of this is accidental, okay? And, and in terms of mental health, uh, depriving African-American people, African-American communities, not only of mental health issues, but what about clean air? What about water? What about food islands, okay? What about the poor health? What about prenatal care? All this plays in to mental health and mental health plays a part in on this. So I'm glad to hear these men talk because I'm telling you, they speak the truth.
0: Yeah.
7: Yeah. Robert Spence. No, nah, I mean, there's nothing but truth up up, up in here today. Um, you know, there's back to what attorney Mac just said. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's a, it's a spiritual uh, a battle, you know what I mean. That, that 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 this wickedness is in high high places, you know. It is in high places, and, and um, you know, all the especially for for black people, the assaults on the body, all the assaults on the bi- black body. You know, everything is mental. For you know, everything mental mental health shouldn't be. You know, like Black History Month, one month, one month, you know, you celebrate mental health is over. You know, everything is mental. <laughs> Every Everything is is mental. And then you tell me what Black folk, there's salts on our bodies. That's why I think we're, we're so spiritual people, because we identify with the spirit. Can you imagine someone, if you talk about uh, Brother Brooks, Brooks mentioned you know rape you mentioned those things. can you imagine, and I've been in spaces and you know in the, in health space because of my work with women who've been abused and and rape and and all those things can can you imagine in those moments oh man I, I I don't sometimes I don't even want to think about it, but trauma of the body gets so bad that you disconnect from the body you dis you disconnect from the body and you and and you go somewhere else. And I think black people have always had to had to had to rely on the spirit, because of the assaults of the body and start living from the spirit, living from the inside out, which is the opposite of the world. Is the outside in? You know what I mean? You know you get all the things and you you get all the material things and that you got success. But shit, you ain't you ain't you don't even know who you are on the inside. You ain't even peaceful on the inside. You got tension on, on the inside. And so i just couldn't agree with with these brothers more and i thought about or uh, brother books was talking about the uh, relationships and how how it's set up and we talk about these ideas of manhood again there's a truth that um when emancipation you know emancipation happened and there was the Freedmen's bureau was was uh, established mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. so uh, emancipation uh, came about, and um, uh, black women wanted to go back and take care of their children, go back to the home, take care, of, you know, and do those things. And then the the, the, the overseers um, began to base their sharecropping or whatever you know the men whatever the sustenance they were going to get on on what they produce, on what the man produced. But the woman was gone now, so so they couldn't produce everything that they were do, doing, they couldn't uh, produce all the um, you know, cotton or whatever it was because the women were now gone. And so uh, the former overseers didn't, didn't like that. And so they convinced, almost convinced the black men that you are in control of that woman and now your sustenance is gonna, gonna be based off of the amount that you bring in. And so the women now have gone back to the home. They had to come back because now the sustenance they were gonna get was gonna be based off how much, they, how much they all produced. And so at that time, because of the trauma, Brother Brooks talks about the, the trauma that black men could not heal and could not even address, they began to take cues and control the women. They began to take cues from patriarchal masculinity, from the control and the power and the domination that overseers use. They began to take those cues and, um, and actually um, and begin to dominate their their own women but, but, but that's all trauma right that is all trauma and so if you were watching i i would suggest everybody watch no the rape the rape documentary it's called no it's capital n-o it's the rape documentary done by um uh, cheetah simmons um but it but it but it talks about that and so um you know janice T- T- what we've been doing for 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 months at TLC is decolonizing,
6: mm-hmm.
7: <laughs> decolonize manhood. We're gonna we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that at a seminar at No Harm. We're gonna we're gonna do that. You know, to to really begin to identify with the spirit and those things that are opposite, uh, the antithesis of of uh, and to, to what the society has taught us about domination and entitlement and and all and, and all those things so we don't take cues from that and begin to do the same things and and, to, and continue to heal that's you know we'll be we, that's never ending you know, yeah. healing is never ending
1: yeah yeah I like that uh, spence um so important because we, the first part is recognizing where we have been colonized that's right you know and <laughs> You know, what are we following? What are we believing? What is your or my definition of success? Yes. What is it built upon? That's right. The, you know, what, you know, because oftentimes the, you know, when they talk about the American dream, well, whose dream is that? Why, why do I have to take on a dream that you decide what a dream is? You can't tell me what to dream. You know, and so these are the kind of concepts. You know, um, so I was brought up saying that success is doing what you want to do, being who you want to be, or being who God wants you to be, being who you are inspired to be. Yeah. You know, and so it's not based upon this system. What is wealth? You know, and I know um Allie had mm-hmm. talked about um and it was mentioned before one of the um how people in prison. You know, um, um, Dwayne talked about those people behind bars and the people who have sexual, um, um, you know, criminal records. And a lot of those people, you know, he mentioned, you know, some people are wealthy, some people are senators and government officials and leaders and millionaires. And those people aren't even behind bars. And so we have to take into account and see what is it that we're actually believing What is the ethical standard for our families? Because oftentimes our ethical standard has been taught by all of society and we've taken on whatever society has told us. You know, well, what is wealth? Okay, I'll give you one that's even current. What is bossing up? Yeah. Like, what is that? Well, I'm bossing up. I'm bossing up. Who told you that? why is that important what does that look like if you're throwing dollars in the air what does that really mean if you just sitting around and you got a, um you got your cigar in your mouth and you bossing up really we gotta really look at the narratives that have been told to us what do they really mean what are we really telling our children? What are we telling the generations to come? And I'm telling you, we are in the predicament that we we're in today because we have not taught the generations. Yeah. We have not taught generation after generation after generation's values and ethics and law.
7: Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I just
1: I thank you guys so much. Yeah, uh, this you. is a very important topic.
7: Tia, you know, you talk about changing that narrative, and I know, Jan. I think, you let me know how much time we have. I don't know if you run running out of time or, or whatever. Um,
0: we are on um, You own. Do what we want.
7: Okay, we yeah, we want. okay gotcha. Um, okay. You know, the, you talk about those narratives, Tia, and you talk about those polarities, and we 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 have to change that on, on so many levels, you know, because young. Boys and men and young men. For some of these things, we get rewarded by other men for it. You know what I mean? We get pats on the back. And so if I have a lot of sexual conquests as a man, you know, other men pat me on the back. And what that just gives, gives rather reinforcement. You get pat on and rewarded by other men for it. But let the woman have sexual conquest, what, what is she, I mean, those, those, those those differences. And so when men get pat on back, they get, they get rewarded for that. And we, we, we see it in, um, when we get rewarded for, for violence, you're someone who could, you know, you kill, you kill one man, you get put in jail, but you kill, you kill, uh, 10,000, you become a, a president of a country. That's crazy. That's crazy. War. People profit from war. We hold people up as you know the dictators. You know, it's it's all it's all it's all it's all backwards. It's so backwards. So men get rewarded for that. But if a woman you know, does you know if a woman in corporate America does is is aggressive like a man, she's called a bitch. It's all you know what I mean? It's just it's just all it's all skewed. We really have to just look at those those narratives and really come back home to who we really are. And 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 like Brother Max said, that's a spiritual endeavor for me. Uh, it is for me, and T. I saw you write in the, um, the the chat, and certainly, it is my attempt, which is probably one of the hardest places to get into, is the church, and to change the thinking of the of the spiritual communities and the faith communities in the church, because it has it has actually uh, helped to perpetuate some of these ideas of separation and men and women, black and white, all that, you know what I mean? It just helped to perpetuate that. And so you gotta get to an That's a whole nother show, that's yeah, a whole nother show. show. Institutional work <laughs> to do that as well because that's where we're being educated, you know? That's, you know, and so, um, yeah, that's that's a, that's a whole nother show. Um, and it
0: also kept people enslaved,
7: it kept, it you kept know. People, And it keeps people, kept yeah. keeps people enslaved. I'm sorry, Robert, to you. It, 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 and, 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 it, and it keeps people um, enslaved. Yeah. In, in, in you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we got we we got work to do, and so we all do it. I'm just you know, honored to be with y'all doing it. Everybody's doing the work, you know.
0: Um, so I have this slide here, Reverend Spence, and okay. everyone else. The five stressors for black men. Yeah. And you guys hit just about all of them.
6: hmm Yeah.
0: Money and finances. Mm-hmm. Race and racism. Mm-hmm. Jobs and career. Yeah. yeah. Family and yeah. relationships. Yeah. Illness. Health and illnesses.
7: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, um this, this 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 wow. And this is this is a this is tough because everybody wants to achieve and, and live their, live their purpose. But the whole thing of, um, associating your self-worth with your net worth, mm-hmm. that is, oh man, that is, that's, you know what I
6: mean?
7: Mm-hmm. And that's just you, brother, man, you get to the spiritual thing, your self-worth you have to get to your self-worth because if you equate it to your network, You know what, what what happens you know to a man who loses his job He loses you know get laid off right. just like that story I told right or what happens to the man whose mate whose wife and mate is making more than him? does mm-hmm. he feel emasculated? You understand it's all it's, it's emascul- you know it's all this stuff we have to deal with and yeah. then really unlearn, actually unlearn everything we've learned about what it means to be a uh, 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 man and 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 know that um I, I will tell you this y'all brother mac and brother books are talking about crying man the most liberating thing that has happened to me is the ability to feel man because i cry all the time now i mean i could cry at a commercial i could something something can come on man i can start tearing i cry at other people's pain you know when i see what's going on you know i tear I, I, I feel it I feel it. Where in the past, so I mean, oh, man, I was I, I didn't I didn't allow myself to feel. I didn't allow myself to feel because I, I was I was I was manning up. I was trying to be a man. I, I, I was doing that and it was hurting, hurting me and everybody else. And so um, the ability to feel because. When you look at patriarchy, when you look at white supremacy, when you look at all those things, It requires that you not feel. Mm -hmm. It requires that you don't have compassion. It requires that you don't have empathy. It requires that you don't take responsibility for what you're doing to your brother. It it requires all that. It requires that you dehumanize the people you're oppressing. That's what it requires. You just disconnected from that. Hmm. And so Duane. to come back to that, to come back to all that, to come back to compassion, empathy, illness, nurturing right. is what we have, was what we have to be.
0: Yes. Go ahead, Dwayne. Dwayne, is he froze?
7: I think he might be froze for a minute.
0: look like he might be froze. Okay. Turning back, did you have something?
4: Yes, you know, this could easily evolve into like a 10 hour conversation right here. Okay. But in the in the brief in, in the brief period of time that I have to talk, and anytime you hear talk about an attorney talk about it in a brief period of time, I have to talk, they're lying because he intend to talk for a good long time. Okay, so so I'm gonna try. I'm, I'm gonna try my best to betray my profession and, and, not, and not talk for a really long time but one thing that we have to talk about J love and perhaps this will be a, a topic for another uh show is the tie between mental illness and violence now jay love you gave an excellent and i was scared when you were talking i was scared okay Because there is a definite tie between mental illness and violence that your neighbor exhibited, okay? And so what I'm saying is, for example, United States doesn't have such an astounding uh, mental health issue as opposed to other, quote-unquote, industrial nations. What United States does have is an unparalleled access to weapons. See, that's what we do have. And so what I'm saying is, you know, you've all bought, you know, epoxy glue, uh, epoxy glue, and it's got two resins. You have to mix those together. Am 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 I dating myself? You've got to mix those two together, okay? And when you mix those two together, it's like a super glue. But those resins by themselves are not tremendously toxic or effective. But once you put them together you got hell to pay, hell to pay. And so what I'm saying is the problem that we have, particularly in the black community is we, and I've said this before, no other group in the history of this nation has tried so hard to become Americanized as black people. Nobody has done that. No other group has been willing to destroy their own heritage in order to be quote unquote, accepted as Americans. We are the ones that put bleach on our skins. We're the ones that put clothespins on our noses. We're the ones that sucked in our lips, all right? We're the ones that did all that. We're the ones that gravitated to the lighter complexion fraternities and sororities, okay? We're the ones who called each other. Jigaboo and niggas growing up, okay. You know, you know, uh, you know, I call you son not because you mind, but because you shine, okay. All those sort of things were the ones that had to deal with, and I remember this growing up with a tremendous discrimination against dark-skinned black girls, okay? Dark-skinned black girls. I'm I'm sorry, it's true. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's true. And so what I'm saying is. Is that thank God it God it erased me out of my ignorance to real to realize how beautiful a dark-skinned black woman actually is. And so I heard a man named Jesse Jackson say one time, you know, quit making people think that when you look at yourself in a pool of water, if you see darkness, the water is muddy. <laughs> okay. Quit quit letting people make you think that about yourself. And so part of the part of the problem is is that with us and access to guns and by the way what the brother said was right the second amendment was never intended for us you know it, it was illegal for it, it wasn't only legal for a slave a black person to have a gun they couldn't have a horse a horse all right you see what i'm saying unless they were sharecropping so what, what i'm saying is is that what's happened now um particularly in my own community here everybody's got a gun okay I'm I'm talking about my black clients. Everybody's got a gun. They say, well, yeah, we got a right to defend ourselves. Well, you have a right to defend yourself, but in a community that is systemically plagued with mental illness, you are also putting those guns in easy reach of people who should never have access to them. Okay. And I see it time and time and time again. And J. Love, Uh, At another time, we can talk about the new red flag laws in the state of Michigan, which I think Mm -hmm. is going to be very instrumental in terms of Black people and and mental health and uh, some of the debates that are coming up over that. So what I'm saying is, brothers uh, brothers and sisters, is that we got the mental health problem, but we also have a large group of Black people talking about, man, I got to protect my Second Amendment rights. You know, I got me five and six guns, but you also got Uncle Herman living with you that's off the tilt, Okay. 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 So I would rather see less access to guns and have Uncle Herman be able to get the mental health he needs than Uncle Herman have a bad episode, go get that gun, and decide he's gonna shoot up a bunch of people in the neighborhood.
6: Mm-hmm. I yeah, I like I like
1: um, I like what what you just said, and also what just came across the screen there. I don't believe it's the weapons. I think. We need to find out what is happening within society that created this mental illness. And we have to know that whatever's going on within us is going to come on without on the outside of us. So it all starts within and it, it starts within you as an individual. It starts within us as a community. It starts within us as a nation. It all starts within. So if we if we are always talking about violence and we use violent ways and we are okay using um, what is it, AR-15s, is that what they call the guns, on people but it's illegal to hunt with them. See, we can't use it on animals, but we can hunt men. We can hunt people. We can kill people with that, but we can't kill it is illegal. It doesn't make sense for animals if you're going out hunting deer. You can't use
0: that Right on the deer. It tears up the meat. Go ahead, Robert. G. It tears up the meat, right? Right. So you know, but but it's okay.
1: It's okay to tear up the meat and everything else on people. We, you know, and it is a mass psychosis. You know, and at some point we have to realize why are we insane? Why are we split-minded as a nation? Why are we split-minded? You know, we say one thing. We say that this is the land for the free and the brave, but is it? and we haven't demonstrated that since its inception so it's really not so we Mm -hmm. we are we are split-minded in in our nation in our thinking and when we follow this this concept time and time again we become split-minded people and so then we wonder what is happening talk about the educational system. Vince has said something not too long ago about, about, about you know we need more. And I think um um Brooks has said the same thing as far as more for um, mental health in even in the schools, and that they're trying to take that away. I think J Love, you had mentioned that also. But let me tell you something, it's not happening out in other communities, people. No, yeah. it's they want to take the dollars away from uh, your community, our community people who have brown skin communities in other communities they have teams of behave they have behavioral teams behavioral workforces they have social workers they don't just have one social worker for the school they have social workers they have speech pathologists they have not just one four they got four or five padded rooms for when a child has an episode they believe in total inclusion where nobody gets labeled with suspension or exclusion so what are they doing but see we don't go and find out what anybody else is doing we just stay stuck where we are just going with whatever's been given to us yes lisa it is low income yes they make more yes over nine thousand per child Yes. Yes it's true, but at some point we we have to take back our, our community. They got everything they need. Walkies all over. People who are trained with CPI training, crisis prevention training. In other schools, not in our cities. They're trained to be able to handle children gently so that they can get help. We mm-hmm. do not. And so we can't just accept what is always given to us. We have to know what is ours, take our community back, and it starts within each and every one of us. We mm-hmm. cannot wait for them to do it for us. Yeah, We have to start with us. It's up to us. Like we said before, nobody, nobody's coming to save us. We got to save ourselves, and we got to mm-hmm. do it now
0: i want to address what kevin said um back in our day they used to have guns hanging above the fireplace or laying right on the nightstand but we didn't touch it so why is it happening and that's true kevin my granddad <laughs> had guns and and he told us hey <laughs> You only know, had to tell us one time not to go in. We didn't even go in that room. <laughs> we didn't even go in that room. <laughs> we didn't. Even, when we talked to my grandma and grandfather in their, uh, if they was in their bedroom, we would stand in the hallway because nobody went in there because we already know that's the guns, and you already been, you know, you're gonna die <laughs> by the hands of my granddaddy if you go in there. Yeah. So I don't know. Kevin, that's a great point. It is something has changed. Yeah. You know, we the the fear of the you know of the elders. I don't know what it is, but something has changed.
7: You know, you know, and I, that 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 that's set. That's such a such a good point. Um, and I, I think it's a few things. You know, I um, part of part of what I do too is. Um, uh, teaching how people how to deal with conflict and tension. Right. And so I think um, in this cancel culture, you know, this cancel culture that uh, oftentimes and not knowing how to deal on the process of dealing with tension and conflict, you know, I think part of that is people just cancel, cancel each other out. You know, I'm I'm just, I'm going to just cancel you out. And And then, you know, guns have become unlike for your grandfather and those people that Kevin was was talking about. Guns now for people have become an extension of power, Mm -hmm. and an extension of that power. And so, you know what I mean. So it is, it is really people who feel inside they feel powerless.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: That have to do external things to show their power or or, or or get their power. So so um so I think it is it is something that, you know happening inside too. But of oftentimes it's like Hey, um I'll just um I'll just can't handle this, handle this by 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 power and by you or using using my power and um and we see that in relationships too whether, whether you're using a gun now but the process of um i think with all the tech i mean all these things are happening everything that is happening now is kind of disconnecting us from each other mm-hmm. we're losing connection we're mm-hmm. losing human connection mm-hmm with everything that's happening with all the technological advances and with Mm -hmm. the loss of human connection, we don't know how to talk to people. We don't know how to deal with tension. We don't know how to agree to disagree. We don't know. We don't know how to do that. We just disconnected. Mm -hmm. Everything just become quick. I'm going to get rid of my problem quick. I'm going to do that quick. And suddenly we got mental. We got all these other issues too, but certainly I think that's part, that's part of it.
0: Yeah. I was going to say the mindset. Yeah. Because, you know, the mindset for when my granddad yeah. had guns is different yeah. from the mindset. Yes. Now. Yes. Um, my granddad had guns because he he was from the South. Yes. Protect your property, protect your home. Yeah. He didn't wear them around like it was an accessory.
6: Yes.
0: You know, people have guns now yeah. like it's an accessory. Yes. And so, you know, the mindset has changed. And I agree with the disconnect. Yeah. You know, yeah. um people are very disconnected. Mm. Um you can't even say you can't literally <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you literally can't say anything yeah. to anybody anymore. Yeah. yeah. Because they go from right from you had this conversation to kill. Yeah. There's no in-between
6: right. right.
0: um thing right. anymore. So yeah.
6: Yeah. we have yeah. to
0: get back to yeah. um, I don't know, you know. <laughs> changing the narratives yeah um creating a sense
6: yeah. a
0: community um get back to loving ourselves you know i think a lot of we're just dis- even disconnected from ourselves we don't mm-hmm. even know oh, who nice. we are that's right so
4: yeah correct j love can i can yeah. i just interject one thing here please yeah mm-hmm. along along lines you're talking about um so somebody commented that they disagree. They don't think guns are, are are the problem. It's like the human being is the problem. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's like saying that, you know, automobiles aren't 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 the problem. People who drive them are, are are the problem. So let's just disconnect automobiles from people. That's impossible, okay, in a in a mobile, in a mobile society. But so the point that I want to make is J Love not only about the prevalence of guns and how easy it is to get a gun. And I want all black people to listen. All black people, listen up, please. These stand your ground laws are not designed to protect you. All right. And for what what, when I say stand your ground, for those of you who don't know, by the way, Michigan is a stand your ground state. Did you know that? Uh Did you know that? Michigan is also an open carry state. Did you know that? Did you know that? You you can carry a weapon in the state of Michigan as long as it's not concealed. Did you know that? So what what I'm saying is all these and and, and all these black people that are buying into this thing about you know I'm gonna get me AR-15 or whatever it is I'm a you know you know you need to understand something black people. When a man named Barack Obama got elected president, gun sales in this country went up 800 percent. 800 percent. Okay. Okay. And what I'm telling you black people is you need to understand something that wasn't done to benefit you. All right. And with these stand your ground laws or these open carry laws, those are not created to benefit you. Okay. Ask a woman who has a son, had a son by the name of Trayvon Martin about that. Okay. Okay. So what, what I'm trying to explain to you black folks is, is this. When you say that guns aren't the issue, guns are a hell of a part of the issue. Yes, it is. Because what happens is those guns infiltrate your community, okay? Okay? They infiltrate your community. And when we're dealing with systemic mental health as a group of people, the closer you are to the gun in a violent society, the closer you are to resorting to that gun to solve whatever problem that is. Okay? So so it's like... It's like putting liquor in front of an alcoholic and say, well, it ain't the liquor's fault. It ain't the liquor's fault. The people who's putting that liquor there, it's damn sure part of their fault because they know what they're doing. So not only are they making billions of dollars on selling guns, they're buying these legislatures on a state level to say, don't you dare pass a law holding a gun manufacturer responsible. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. And they're not doing it. Gun manufacturers are not held responsible. You know, so you can watch all the episodes of Law and Order all you want. It ain't happening. It's mm. just not happening. Okay. So when I say there's a direct relationship between mental illness and violence, there is, there is. So with black people more having more access to guns, I know, you know, about want to protect yourself, but some of this is vanity. It is some of this is vanity that we in our culture remember the big thing about uh, 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 what's that dog, Doberman Pinchers? Remember back in the day, you can judge a person's manhood in, in, in a neighborhood, you know, a Doberman Pincher. Well, guess what? The Doberman <laughs> Pinchers have been replaced by the American Pit Bull, okay? Okay, so you know, all of my clients, well, not all of them, a lot of my clients go to their house and say, Man, keep that dog in the basement, okay? <laughs> so, so <laughs> because you know, I would hate to, I would hate to have to assume you're behind, but I will, I will. So, <laughs> so, 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 and you know, and I ask people, what is there that 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 pushes you to think that you have to have your manhood on the extension of a leash? See, see, that's what we as black people have got to come in dealing with is to fighting that mentality. Okay. You know, my manhood is measured by this glock. I ain't got no license to carry it. Uh, I, I don't have a CPL, but I got this Glock. I've had clients confront me with that. I said, "Don't show it to me. Don't ever put me in that situation." Because if somebody asked me under oath that I see with that weapon, I'm gonna tell them the truth. So you know, don't 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 do it. So anyway, I'm I'm sorry. Sermon over. I, I apologize. I just had to say that.
0: <laughs> you good turning that. So Reverend Spencer, can you tell people how they could connect with you?
7: Oh, sure. sure. Um, well, if you know, see, see what we're doing at uh, NoHarmLife.org. Um, our website, there it is, NoHarmLife.org, and see see what we're doing, see what we're going to do. We're still developing programs, still doing all that, but you'll get an idea of what our values are and what we're doing. So uh, check that out. Uh, I always say this, donate if you can. We're, we're, we're from grassroots. If you believe in what we're doing, uh, donate to it. Um, and you can reach reach me at Spencer at noharmlife.org. Spencer at noharmlife.org. Um but um, but yeah, this is uh, that amen, Reverend Mac. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> amen, Reverend Mac <laughs> for real.
0: So, uh, you guys, while we're still on, there's a couple of more um, in the chat. The availability of guns wasn't a problem until Black people and others gained access. So when you are say guns are the issue, that's what you're really saying. That's what what you really are saying is that Black people are the problem.
1: You know, I, I don't think that we're saying, I think we need to... Uh, um, Okay, so, so this is another narrative. This is another time. narrative.
0: Use knives, rat
1: poison, etc. Okay, yeah, this is another narrative of mine, and that is the what makes opposites. You know, and um, even in school, they 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 teach opposites. You know, it's the game that you play when you're five years old. What's the opposite of black? Is it white? Is color an opposite? is white the opposite of black who told us this who told us the opposites so it's it's a problem when a white person is crazy and has a gun i i don't care what color you are if you're crazy you should not have a gun okay i don't care if i don't care what nationality or anything the guns by themselves no the guns themselves are not a problem but what we know today is there are a lot of people and i'm not saying black people it's not a black problem because a lot of black people may be be getting killed by white people so it's not the color of the person it is the mentality of the person behind the gun. What I'm saying is there is no, yeah, it is. It, the, guns don't give you safety. And, and it has not because that is, when we say these things, this is the narrative that has been taught. That is a colonized mind that was <laughs> Propagandized by white people who felt as soon as black people were freed, they needed to secure their home and protect the white women from the black men. This is another historical narrative that we have gone ahead and followed and adopted. What I am saying is that we terrorize one another with these weapons that we don't even use on terrorists we we are this is an implosion in america that we this is not it doesn't it's not has no substantiated evidence whatsoever why you need these types of guns And so, no, we're not saying it's a black thing or a white thing, but it is a thing. It's a thing because you have weapons in the hands of people who are not mentally able to be in charge of these weapons. And people are dying because of it.
4: That's right. Right. That's right.
1: You know, so no, it's not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's a false sense of safety. Right. And we need
7: to tell the truth. That's, 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 that's right. That's right, T.L. When I mean, we talk about the mentality, I mean, it's all about power. You know, it's about power. It's about power. So when we look at, we've been talking about sexual assault, we've been looking at rape, right? Rape is not a, a, act, a, a sexual, that's, a, that's an act of power and control. When you look at it, right, and so and so, guns in the hands of people who feel powerless is very scary. That because it's about power. It's about power because the one who has who has easy a- a- access and feels and goes and feel he felt humiliated or shamed at work is going to go try to regain his power by going back and shooting everybody at work.
4: That's right, that's right.
7: Got to this point where where it becomes pow- it becomes power, especially if I feel dis humility shame all, all it because it, it's it, it's power. So it, it it does go back 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 to the mental, and it does call for the for the restricted assets it needs the 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 assault weapons the ban. You know what I mean? It's got to be you know because listen you can't you can't have 20 school children get massacred and do nothing
4: that's right that's exactly right and just do nothing that's exactly right that's exactly right what Mm -hmm. you ain't even protecting future you
7: ain't doing nothing that's right not a symbolic gesture of doing you Red flag. Look! Look at other countries like Finland, or what? What they did over there, you know what I mean? Immediately, I just send. I think her name was just Switzerland it was Finland, or one of the. She took the, and the and the crime went down. She banned assault weapon, and the crime went down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just it just did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't mean that was the only thing. No, but it went down.
6: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure and so, Reverend oh, Spence. Yeah. Oh, go ahead.
6: That (laughs) was it.
0: Yeah. You know, my neighbor, I'll tell you, you know, that came up on me on Monday. Mm -hmm. He had an automatic weapon, right? He had, he has mental issues, right? And so he was arraigned. And guess what? He didn't have a license. He didn't have, he got charged with CCCW, felony firearm.
4: Absolutely. And
0: discharging. In the mm.
4: neighborhood, absolutely.
0: Guess what?
7: He's gonna be back home today or tomorrow. Uh, you saw what I uh, text you. I'm surprised to hear you. So, I was like, You're gonna be back home tomorrow,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 Jay Love, excuse me, I got to say this. I got to say this. Look, I ran for Washington County Prosecutor Attorney in 2020, okay. Um, we did not quote unquote win because we didn't get the most votes. One of the reasons we did not win, is because I said, while I do recognize the inequities in terms of race and money, in terms of the legal system, in other words, the ability to post bail or bond or whatever, you see what I'm saying? I do realize there are some situations where people are simply dangerous. They are simply dangerous, And you cannot legitimize their release because you say you don't want to appear racist or classist because they don't have a bunch of money to post to post bond. And so what I'm saying is my position was do not eliminate cash bail. Keep it. But you should try to modify it to be more sensitive about a person's financial status. And so what I'm saying is, is this I got like a D plus from certain civil rights groups because I said that because I wasn't for eliminating cash bond all, all the way. OK, I like the idea of cash bond for the mega rich. I want to be able to attach that yacht. I want to be able to attach that mansion. I want to be able to attach that Lexus and that uh Uh, Bentley, excuse me. Okay. I want to be able to attach all and I want to get that passport too, by the way. So I want to be able to attach something to keep an anchor for the mega rich to keep their behinds honest. But in any event, so what I'm saying is I am, I'm hurt and I'm saddened, but not surprised to hear you say that because they have convinced some judge somewhere that this man does not pose a threat. Okay. How it is you can walk up to a woman that is a friend of yours with a gun, and if, and if you saw the gun, Jay love people actually see a gun because they want you to know they're capable of using it, <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. and, and do that to other, to other people and say you're not a threat to your, yourself or community. I don't understand. I don't. So that's the drawback to all my civil rights advocates there that say under no circumstances should there be any cash bail, any nothing like that, because it's it's impacting people in the wrong way racially. You be careful what you ask for, because you might just get it and you might just get it in the form of a mentally ill person right next to your house with a gun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My experience. Yeah.
0: And I'm just thinking, like, you know, we didn't try to, you know, set him up to get some help, you know. Right. We didn't try to set him up to see a doctor. Right. We didn't try, we didn't try to set him up for any kind of medical something. Right. We just gonna just send him home. Right. And he already had a violent outburst. Right. And I'm not saying hold him in the jail, but I'm saying he needs some help because yeah. he's off his meds and he needs to help. Yeah. Thank you everyone for coming on tonight. I appreciate you. Again, Reverend Spence, i gonna put your uh, to connect with uh, Reverend Spence and No Harm. There's your link.
6: Thank you.
0: Also, Dura, uh, Dwayne Brooks will be back next week because these following weeks moving into the love gathering we're going to be talking about wrongful convictions and the reason why we're doing this Mm -hmm. is because of wrongful convictions Mm -hmm. um also um we also want you to support the final push clemency for susan brown who is also making us a special art piece for the love gathering uh she's an international artist and so um you need to hear her story, um, Michigan. This is Michigan again, but you need to hear her story. Here's the link for Susan Brown. Support Susan Brown for clemency. Also, voice donate to the Voice of Detroit. This um, platform has been doing wrongful convictions, uh, reporting on them, and, and corruption in Detroit for over 20 years, probably close to 30 years. Miss Diane, support her platform by going to www.voiceofdetroit.net. She's part of our Turning the Moment into a Movement family. And also, the Love Gathering, June the 24th, 2023, at Handy Park in Redford, Michigan. Bring your favorite chair. It's going to be a blanket or whatever you need for a picnic. And come out for a day of healing games, food, giveaways, face painting. We got the splash pad for the kids, a special raffle. We have so many people donating things for the raffle that is really awesome, different artists. Um, So come out, we're gonna have some awesome music, food, um, alternative modalities are gonna be done that day. So join us for the love gathering and just know, that mental health matters. So, you know, connect with your people, your family members, Um, have these conversations with not only your family, co-workers, everybody, we need to normalize mental health. We need to take those stigmas stigmas and biases away so people could be so um, comfortable with going to get help when they feel things is not right with them. And that's it today. Thank you for joining us on turning a moment into a movement. I appreciate you guys. I know this was a little bit long, but thank you because this conversation was very important. And we'll see you next Friday.